Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Uh, there's comings and goings at the AFL. We'll hear all about how the Steve Hocking news unfolded today and what he had to say to Bob and Andy and to the media in general today. And we'll find out exactly where we're at with the schedule for this round 17. Still some pieces to fall into place. Time on your say on the news of the day. Uh, yes, indeed. Very good evening to you. Hope you've had a cracking day. However you've been putting us in, uh, putting it in, and however you're finding me, and wherever you're finding me, uh, it's wonderful to have your company this evening. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Of course, time on your say on the news of the day, and there is plenty of it. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Give me a call if you've just been hanging on to something that you need to get off your chest for today, or you've really wanted to load up about one particular issue, and you just haven't been able to, and you've finally knocked off. Now's the time to give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen on the temper text. Temper a mattress like no other. Uh, a little earlier today, before certain press releases came to the fore and uh, news was uh, made available that uh, Steve Hocking was going to be leaving his role as the EGM of footy at the AFL to take up the CEO position at the Cats, replacing uh, 23-year CEO Brian Cook at the club that he played 199 games at, uh, was the former GM of footy at, amongst various other roles. Sam Edmund was the man who had the news before any, and just uh, reminding us of why he is the chief sports reporter uh, at SEN. I can tell you that the AFL football operations boss, Steve Hocking, has been appointed Geelong Chief Executive, Dwayne. So Hocking will go back to the future to replace Brian Cook, who in December will step down from the role he has served since 1999. So Hocking, he was the Cats football manager. In fact, he served a variety of roles with that club for a decade before being appointed the AFL's head of football operations in 2017. But he's been lured back to the Cats, Dwayne, to replace Brian Cook, who did confirm in February that this would be his final year. Arthur Sam Edmund just ahead of the curve uh, and ahead of his contemporaries breaking that story today and then Gil McLaughlin fronted up uh, at a press conference for the AFL and paid tribute to to Steve Hocking uh, and confirming the news that Sam had broken earlier. It is a great appointment for Geelong and it's a loss for us. Um, And before I talk about the arrangements going forward, I want to pay tribute to Steve and the work he's done since joining the AFL in um, I think it was August 2017 something like that Um, first of all he has been an absolute delight to work with Um, he has extraordinary work ethic and that's uh, I think that's not news to any of you he's got great integrity strong leadership and a real commitment to attracting empowering and enabling his team Um, He's not only been a leader of the football operations of the AFL, he's played a crucial leadership role across uh, the entire AFL and the wider football industry. 
when he first started, when uh, when we, when I appointed him, I said to him that um, the head of football is a brutal job, and at best we could plan for getting to five years in the role. I do remember this hot laughed at me, and, and um, he was a bit dismissive of that thought. Um, well, he got to four years, and I do think they. With two of those years being COVID years, I reckon they count for double. So I'm telling you, I reckon he got to six years. Um, but um, he's done a, a mighty job. And then the reality is that these opportunities don't come around too often. And you have to take them when they do. AFL boss Gil McLaughlin uh, paying tribute to Steve Hocking in the announcement today that he would be stepping down from his role as the uh, EGM of footy for the AFL and taking on the CEO position at Geelong. Uh, Gil also listed uh, Steve's achievements in the position. He's led his team superbly and has done a, a fantastic job navigating us through this ongoing COVID pandemic. He's worked with the clubs, coaches, players and umpires it's been extraordinary. He's brought improvement to every aspect of the game, whether it's the growth of AFLW, expansion of mental health and welfare initiatives across the clubs, rule changes that opened up the game and made our game more spectacular, or the development and implementation of the ARC and the ongoing development of umpires. And he and his team have guided significant change for the second tier and NAB League competitions. And above all, he's always put the game first. The changes Steve has made to the laws of the game has resulted in an exceptional season of football this year so far, and that follows our best season, I think, of AFLW. Steve will finish on Thursday. We both agreed that it's the right thing to do from a governance point of view now that he's been appointed as the chief executive of a club. Andrew Dillon will step in and act in the role of executive general manager of football for the remainder of the AFL men's season and Steve's leadership team will clearly step up and provide uh, that tremendous support they do. Andrew will also continue his current role as EGM of Game Development and General Counsel. So, Gil, listing the achievements of Steve Hocking in his role as the General Manager of Footy for the AFL, and uh, he spoke about Andrew Hammond taking over until they find a replacement, pointing to the arc, the 666, the stand rule, the 15-metre man on the mark, uh, the new interpretation of the holding the ball. I'm not sure if you mentioned that one there. Uh, and there's a few other things that uh, Steve Hocking brought into the role and brought into the game that some people love, some people hated. Obviously, the most recent one is uh, the clear intent shown by he and, and the AFL uh, within in relation to the David McKay situation and what they and that was a glimpse into what we might expect in the future and that drew condemnation for the way in which that was sort of attempted to be Trojan horsed in but uh, for by and large um, there's been big decisions and big changes made to the game uh, that he has always up until that point been incredibly upfront about uh, as to the why and 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 why it was needed and and how it was going to be implemented and you can have your say on on the legacy that you think Steve Hocking leaves behind on the game. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. I for one, I'm a big fan of what the six 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 rule did, uh, what the stand rule is doing, and what the fifteen metre man on the mark uh, from the kick ins rule is doing as well. I think they have been positive changes to the game, uh, but you might have a different view. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Nathan, John, Frank, and Ross. I'm going to get to you in just a moment, but Steve Hocking spoke to the media earlier on today. He spoke to Bob and Andy. I'm going to weave through a little bit of what he had to say there as well. But he did explain why he took up the position at Geelong, leaving the AFL to the media earlier on today. 
Well, yeah, they don't come up very often, particularly the Geelong ones. I think it's 23 years ago it was last um, vacant, so um, certainly uh, I didn't sit back and, you know, if I miss this opportunity, I may not have got that opportunity again. So I've clearly got a long, long-term relationship with them, Tom, as well. I started there as a 17-year-old back in 1983, so um, there's a lot of history there for me, and uh, I've been fortunate to be in this role. and. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I think the time's right to, to take this role up and I'm thankful for the, the Geelong board and Craig Drummond to, to uh, you know, select me for that role. Steve Hocking also said, uh, explained to Bob and Andy uh, about 15 minutes ago about returning to Clubland and the lure of it. Yeah, look, it's, it's Bob, it's, it's a really good um, discussion that. I, I think one of the things that you, you sort of notice... Um, no one barracks for the AFL, um, <laughs> whereas they barrack for a club. And, and so, you know, you, you sort of do uh, miss that um, to, a, to a degree. And so, that, you know, to come back into this community here, it's such a strong and valued community here in Geelong. And you have a look at what's gone on with it over over the last sort of five to ten years. It's, um, you know, there's been a lot of migration from Melbourne of a lot of people. It's become a, a you know, destination place here, like the actual Geelong um, and surrounding regions, and and so there's a lot of growth down here as well. Um, yeah, so looking forward to uh, you know to being part of that, and that certainly you know goes into your decision making. Steve Hocking on the return to Clubland. He also uh, enlightened us on what he thought the most contentious rule change that he made was in his time as the GM of footy. Uh, probably, probably holding the ball um, halfway through the season. I think uh, when was that last year? I reckon that was probably the most difficult one. A lot of the others, because you're working with stakeholders and so forth, you find your way through it, you navigate it, you bring people on the journey. But uh, making a, a decision sort of mid-season, it, it, it is quite disruptive. That's, that's probably been one of my biggest learnings. So the genuine attempt changed the interpretation of the holding the ball rule. Uh, he believes it was the most contentious one. The rule that he didn't get through, he revealed as well that he was keen to get over the line. Yeah, there was one. Which one was that? The goal square. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was very strong on that. Don't change any of the line. He's, he's very strong around the traditions of, of the game, which, you know, I value and, and have certainly um, respected that. But uh, I remember the uh, the conversation when I rolled in and said the goal square is going to be doubled in size, and there was a bit of fun between the two of us. I was asked to well, leave. Well, if we're going to give details, a lot more than that. I wasn't going to double the goal size of the goal square. So wanting to extend the goal square, he spoke about, with Bob and Andy, the rule and, and uh, I suppose, an issue that he would have explored in greater detail had he stayed in the role. I think uh, the, the opportunity is around player movement, Andy. I think that there's a real um, opportunity around that. I think that um, you know, all the second tier uh, have got a, a wonderful role in, in, um, to play in future as far as developing players. Um, uh, you know, I like the thought that the game is available to to everybody, um, and that's the way it should be. Uh, you know, I, for me, when I came in the AFL, I, I felt like it had really started to become a bit vanilla and quite narrow um, in its selection process of players, yep. and that's opened back up again. And I, I think that is so much better for the game. I, I, I don't think we should ever move away from that. Uh, Steve Hocking also spoke about what he believed was the biggest challenge facing the game as well right now. Uh, look, I, I think, Bob, um, what we need to do is is to continue to make sure that the ball does move around. Everybody talks about scoring. I, I think it's you know, one of the pleasing things that we've seen this year is we've seen 
far more bags of goals um, from, you know, uh, big forwards. Uh, but we've also seen that from smaller forwards as well. Um, you know, just the ball moving from in, mm. from one end of the ground to the other, um, you know, defensive 50 into the forward 50 is really important. And just players playing on instinct. So playing on instinct, wanting to bring instinct and, and freer ball movement into the game, he still thinks is the biggest challenge facing it. Have your say on Steve Hocking, one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Alex says off the text, the temper text, temper a mattress like no other, holding the ball, he failed. Uh, and then off the text, can we now get someone in to halve 50 metre penalties to 25 metres, scrap the protected area junk and ruck nomination fast as I'm clearly still simmering over that 50 metre penalty uh, gift goal. That's coming Coming through from Dom. So one So the round 17 fixture is still not totally locked in. There's still some things up in the air, but I'm just getting the thumbs up that uh, there is a confirmed fixture now in place uh, for round 17. So as I look to find that, uh, and I think it is, is it up on the uh, AFL website at the moment, Julia? Or a statement has just come through. So I'm just going to click on this story right now uh, on the AFL website. So this is a big news story today. Monday night football will return. Round 17. So West Coast scheduled to host North Melbourne at Optus Stadium. Crowds will return to 100% capacity from Sunday to Monday. So Sunday would have only been 50%. Monday, they can get 100% capacity. So the Eagles will travel to Perth on Tuesday via a charter flight. That's tomorrow to, to start their preparations. Uh, and then North will head over as well. So it's a five-day round of footy starting on Thursday night. Uh, and I'll take you through all the games and where they have been locked in. So Thursday night will be Port Adelaide v Melbourne. Looking forward to that clash. Top four encounter uh, between the Power and the D. So that's Thursday night. 7.10 start, but that's Adelaide time. Friday night, Essendon and Adelaide at Marvel Stadium. 7.50 start time for that. Saturday, Hawthorne and Frio at Utah Stadium. 1.45pm start. Carlton and Geelong at the MCG. 4.35pm. Brisbane and St Kilda is still TBC. So there's a little bit going on in Brisbane at the moment with the COVID situation. Uh, whether or not that can still be played in Brisbane, they're going to give that as long as possible to determine. They may take it to Metricon. If Brisbane is a, is a red zone area, then they could take it to Metricon if the Gold Coast is an orange or a green zone classification. So that's still to be determined, the Saturday night fixture between Brisbane and St Kilda, which would be Dane Zorko's 200th game. Sunday, GWS and Gold Coast, that's still TBC, but we're hearing that that's a likelihood of being played in Ballarat. So Mars Stadium looms as the venue, uh, but that's still to be determined. Uh, but that'd be fantastic for the people of Ballarat and for regional places to get some AFL games, uh, making the most of a, of a bad situation that we're still encountering with COVID. Uh, I like the idea of that. Western Bulldogs and Sydney at Marvel Stadium, 3.20pm. Uh, Richmond and Collingwood at the MCG, 4.10. The twilight spot at the MCG for Richmond and Collingwood. I wonder how many will turn up. And then Monday, West Coast and North Melbourne. Haven't had a, fr- haven't had a Monday night game since 2014. Uh, if you take out Anzac Day or, 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 um, or the... Uh, Easter Monday game. Haven't had a Monday night game since Carlton v St Kilda in 2014. So uh, really looking forward to that. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Have your say on Monday night football. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. 11 16. There's a text that's come through. How can we be three days out from the start of round 17 and not know what the fixture is? No wonder crowds are low. No time to organise weekend, babysitter, family, etc. It's a joke. 
they're not doing it on purpose, whoever sent that text through. It's not just because they can't be bothered. Uh, it is because they're trying to deal with varying and different COVID situations that are unfolding in different states who are governed by different state governments who have different requirements and different rules. So the juggling act that the AFL is having to do at the moment, and I'm one of the first to criticise when I think that they're letting us down in a particular area, but this is not one of those areas. They have a lot of balls up in the air at the moment. They're doing extraordinary work to keep these games going, to get rounds done uh, and to keep the game afloat. So uh, it just is what it is. At the minute, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Before we come back, Jeremy Cameron news uh, and a few other things that have been said on the station today that are definitely newsworthy. Your calls one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Rick Ladson's going to join me after six thirty as well. Premiership Hall kicked the sealer in two thousand and eight. Was part of the guard of honour for Sean Burgoyne with a lot of former teammates from Hawthorne and Port Adelaide, friends, family, legends of the game. The four hundred club that Sean Burgoyne joined. It was a beautiful night uh, on Saturday night, and Rick Ladson's going to take us inside the celebrations as part of the Guard of Honour for Sean Burgoyne. But Nathan's in Craigieburn. He's been waiting patiently. G'day, Nath. Hang on a sec, Nath. We'll just uh, toggle the controls a little bit, give it a shake, and you, we should have you there. Hello, Nath. Yeah, good evening. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. I want to talk about the Saints, if it's okay. Of course it is. Yeah, I, want, I reckon they're on the right path at the moment, and I reckon we may be doing what the Bulldogs did. The year they went for the premiership, I reckon we're picking at the right time of the year with Marshall and Ryder back in. And Dunstan, we found him as a good tagger. And Ryan Burns, the way he weaves through traffic, I think he's taken over Hunter Clark's role, which Hunter Clark's obviously injured, that's why I'm saying that. And with the injuries, I reckon they've helped us find a few young players that are coming through. Yeah, so you only sit two points outside the eight at the moment behind the Giants who are in eighth position. Uh, you've won your last two and three out of your last five. The injury list, obviously, is still a concern. But the other thing that is a bit of a concern is just how easily you let Collingwood back into a game that you, you didn't need to let them back into. The queue sort of went in the rack a little bit early, I reckon, Nathan, and that was a concern because at one point, I think the lead was over 50 points, wasn't it? It was 42 points, but I'm happy that we, as long as we get the win because at the moment, we're not going to be able to save, save percentage. We just have to win the games that we, should we winning and... Basically, we play the teams that are just above us at the moment. So we play like Fremantle. We're going to play um, West Coast. So we win, win a couple of those games, and that's it. We should make the A, I reckon. So you're holding on to hope. You reckon that finals is still a possibility? As long as Ryder and Brash will play the rest of the games, um, I'll, I've got hope. Oh, I love it. Isn't it wonderful? It's a wonderful thing in a footy season that's only got less than a third of it to go to still have some hope, Nathan. I don't share your optimism, but I'd love to be proven wrong. My sister and my niece and nephew all barrack for St Kilda, and I, I think that we all have a soft spot for a team that hasn't won a flag since 1966. So uh, if they can make it and they can continue on the improve, uh, I don't think anyone would begrudge them for it. But that fade-out late in that game was a concern coming off a really good performance over Richmond. But where Richmond are at is anybody's guess at the moment after their loss to the Gold Coast. Uh, John's on the road. G'day, John. G'day, mate. How are you going? Got a few points, if you will allow me. Far away. First, hocking going, thank God, because I reckon he's complicated the game too much and the game is completely compromised. Two things that have really have not improved this year is goal-kicking and umpiring. Now, I understand you guys are restricted of what you can say about umpiring because at the end of the day, you, the Gestapo AFL controls what you can and can't say. No, they don't, but keep going. 
Well, I reckon they do. No, no, John, I'm telling uh, you, and, and that I find that offensive personally. I'm telling you right now that the AFL doesn't control a single thing that I say. But now that we've nipped that in the bud, continue on, please. All right, well, I'll give you an example then. Yesterday, it's the sound of affirmation, uh, the words of the ex-St Kilda coach, are loud and true. The North Melbourne Bulldogs game, the first quarter was nip and tuck. It was very tight. But it got to nine threes to zero. Now, you know what? The nine threes were there. But there was probably six or seven threes that should have gone to North that were, that were never paid. So how do you explain that? I'll tell you how you explain that, because it was a Footscray home game and, and, and the crowd was a bit louder. Now, the Carlton and Fremantle game, Eddie Betts got paid a free kick 15 metres out from goals by you-know-who, which was no free. Yet, yet Carlton had about five or six holding the balls, dropping the balls, incorrect disposals that were never paid. How do you explain that? I don't even try, John. There's no rule that says that the free kick count has to be even. We're not talking about the free kick rule. So this is where it's a misconception. It's the freeze that aren't paid that cost teams games. Well, there's an argument to say that the free kicks that do get paid that cost them the game, that cost teams the game. And if you're relying on the umpire's calls to win and lose games, every coach will tell you you're relying on the wrong thing. Well, see, this is where you guys use that as an excuse. Well, there's only one person on this show at the moment, and that's me. So there's not a team of people in here. So don't lump us all all into the same basket, John. We all have different opinions and we see the game differently. I can't stand umpire bashing, and I've made that really clear. And I used to be guilty of it myself, but I can't stand it at the moment because they're a semi-professional part of our game. Everyone's so quick to want to blame umpires, but we never want to say to the players, maybe their own team lost us that game. No, it's always the umpires' fault. Well, how do you explain some certain decisions? Can you explain these two decisions to me? The um, GMHBA's decision where the guy blatantly dropped the ball in Blitzars, and then you had the other one in Sydney... They were the sound of affirmation. So get around that one for me. (laughs) John, as much as I appreciate being told what to do, um, I I won't even bother trying to explain it. It's in the eye of the beholder. The umpires see them, and if they see them and they're certain of them, then they call them. And it's not an exact science. Our game is the most difficult game in the world to umpire because it is so interpretation-based. It is in the eye of the beholder. So I'm not going to stand here and blame umpires for every single thing that goes wrong in a game. And if you think that makes me a stooge of the AFL, well, I really couldn't care less. But you can get hung up on umpiring decisions all you want, but it doesn't cost, it doesn't win and lose games. And coaches will tell you the same thing. Chris Fagan didn't point to the umpires when they didn't get that call down in Geelong because there were other things that cost them the game. So I understand your frustration, but... The better question is, how do we make umpires better? And we make them better by making them fully professional. That's how we do it, mate. Thank you for the call. I really appreciate it. one 736 736 Michael, I'll get to you in just a moment. This is time on your say on the news of the day. There's a fair bit of response coming through off the temper text, 0433 98 11 16, in regards to John's uh, rant about... Umpires being to blame for everything. Um, and there's a few people that are absolutely supporting of that and condemning 
me for not really wanting to have a bar of it. Um, I, I think that umpire bashing is the easiest pastime in the world. Um, these are human beings. They're, they're not perfect. We, we, we are so quick to want to blame umpires for everything. We treat them like second-class citizens and we wonder why we can't get people to umpire in suburban, country footy, junior footy. We wonder why we can't get every decision paid correctly, yet we've got no problem in the fact that players kick the ball at 65% efficiency on average. It's a double standard, and I just get bored of it, and I get tired of it. Yep, there is studies that will show that there is such a thing as noise of affirmation. It happens uh, on about 53%, I think the study was, and it, and it, and it, and it had an impact on about 52%. So it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really have that much of an impact in the grand scheme of things. Uh, these are human beings. They're not perfect. Nobody is. Um, how do we make them better? To me, fully professional is the way to go. Uh, every little decision we could put a microscope over, and they do. They review it. They have a look at what they got right and what they got wrong. But if you think that Carlton won the game on the weekend just because of umpiring decisions, have a look at Fremantle's goal-kicking accuracy. That might give an indication of how they lost the game and how Carlton won the game. You're not going to get every single decision going your way. People see it differently. The rules are all in the eye of the beholder. Look at holding the ball. There's about seven to eight dot points as to how that's supposed to be adjudicated. And, yep, it's frustrating. I understand that. But I just, the, the bashing, the constant bashing, I just, I'm, I'm tired of it. One three hundred seven three six seven three six. Michael in Preston. G'day, Michael. Sammy, how are you, mate? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, you just stole a bit of my thunder there. I was uh, just ringing up about. I was going to say enough, enough, but that'd be wrong. Um, but I'm I'm over here, and everyone just getting stuck into the umpires this time of year. We all know, and you you raised the point then. You know the the. There was how many shots at goal did Fremantle miss from directly in front? How many turnovers per game are there? Not just kicking accuracy, but turnovers, direct turnovers. There's, there's, a, I think there's about 600 decisions umpires because you've got to remember they don't always pay a free kick or a mark or anything like that. Any scrimmages in the ground that they do, and I think that they're running at about 90% decisional accuracy. So, like when you hear these people just give it to them, all my kids. All my kids have been involved in junior sport and umpiring along the way. So when you hear these people get onto them and get stuck into them, you know, in the radio, you just know that they're the kids, they're the people who are yelling at the kids on the weekend as well. They're the ones who tee off on the little kid who's 13 years of age, having a crack for his 32 bucks a game so he can get out with his mates on the weekend. And these people, these people are the ones that are really, really making it hard for footy to be a better game than that it already is. Michael, I appreciate the call. And we, we should always hold people to a high standard. We should always be accountable for the decision we made. And they are. But if you think there's an agenda that the umpires have, if you think there's a bias, then I just don't buy it. I'm just not going to buy into any of that. Um, we can talk, have, let's have conversations about how we help them, how we get them better, how we get more people umpiring at the junior level, how we get more umpires at club level, whether it be suburban or country. How do we elevate people rather than just rip them to shreds every single time? Tim, hello to you. Yes, mate. How are you? Really well, thanks. Oh, is it Sam? Yes, it is. You're, you're oh, on sorry, here, mate. You're, you're far <laughs> oh, sorry, away, I Tim. Feel, I didn't realise. I'm fully supportive of you, mate. Like, it frustrates me. Like, I've got two kids that play junior, junior footy as well. And it frustrates me how a decision in the last minute of a game is what's 
cost the game or whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm a Geelong supporter. I'll go back when we played Sydney. We were 29 points up. And yes, it mightn't have been 15 metres. But you know what? We let them kick six goals. So it's irrelevant. So we let them kick six goals. Not that last decision cost us a game. We cost ourselves a game. And it's the same even at junior level. And you think, oh, my God, what sort of decision is that? But the... But then you're like, okay, well, he's just learning the, you know, he's learning the game. And abusing umpires and stuff like that, it's just insane. Like, it's just, I just don't get it. And I've always said, it always works out, you know, in the end, they'll even up or whatever. But, you know, not intentionally, I should rephrase that. Mm. But it always works out, you know. Like, it's not, it's, and how many times do you sit there and think, oh, that's not a bloody free kick? And then you watch the replay and you go, oh, okay, that was, well, you know, actually, technically it was. You know, like, it's not, they're humans. And how many mistakes are made throughout the course of a game? It's, it's insane. And it's, it's even gotten worse, I think, now because there's, because there's so many cameras at the ground and all that sort of stuff, and the scrutiny is on everyone that we see all these other things. This didn't happen 20 years ago because we didn't have cameras everywhere over a ground. No, uh, yeah, absolutely, Tim. I appreciate it. And this uh, off the text, I understand you don't like umpire bashing, but you still have to let people have an opinion. When you don't, it doesn't look or sound good. I gave John a fair bit of time to have his say, even when he was insulting me and saying I was a stooge of the AFL. I gave him a platform, as we give everybody a platform, but we don't always have to agree. And and there is just... It, doesn't it just get a bit tiresome, constantly bashing umpires? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Cam's in Rosebud. G'day, Cameron. G'day, mate. I uh, just wanted to chat about the um, oh, part of the call that John brought up yep. uh, and, and your response to that uh, about being um, umpires being full-time. Yep. Um, I just, just wanted to say that uh, I've heard, and I don't know this, this for certain, but I've heard that uh, a lot of the umpires in the AFL um, hold uh, very highly paid jobs um, you know, and and you know they're not they're not full time umpires, and there's a call for it to be full time umpires, but they're actually giving up their weekends to umpire mm. the game at the highest level. Um, but if they're put on full time, um, they're not going to earn the same amount of money as what they could do in the executive world. Yeah, that's and I understand that, and it's a great point you raise, Cameron. And I think that would there might be some short term pain because you lose some of the, uh, and you might keep some of those guys that are that are uh, that are you know that have those jobs and they can still umpire some of the games. But as Dwayne's been talking about as well in recent times, that having a core group that are full time and Brendan Goddard spoke about if that they paid them you know maybe two hundred thousand or more, then he would have signed up straight away. They get paid pretty, <laughs> they get paid really well as part timers as it is. Uh, and I'm in full commendation of anybody and have full respect for anybody that uh, puts a, a whistle around their neck. But I think that we could actually improve the standard of having people that are fully invested, full-time, to make it a, a pathway that is uh, something that you can aspire to rather than something you do as an extra. Uh, because I, I can't help but thinking, and some of, as you're right, some of those people have high-paying jobs, lawyers and accountants that take up a lot of their time, not just the standard nine-to-five. So... Um, I just think that we've been doing it like this for over 150 years and we're still having the same conversations. Why don't we at least try it? Why don't we at least give it a go? Uh, Rick Ladson's been really good uh, just to wait patiently while we work our way through that. Uh, we're going to get to him on the other side of the break. He was part of the Guard of Honour for Sean Burgoyne over the weekend in his 400th game and the former Hawks Premiership player will join us next on Time On. 
Welcome back. I hope you're having a, just a wonderful night, however you're putting it in. one 736 736 Time on your say on the news of the day. One of the great moments across the weekend uh, was Sean Burgoyne becoming just the fifth ever player to play 400 games and maybe more importantly, the first ever Indigenous player to reach that just monumentous milestone. He is uh, the most... I would say that he is the greatest Swiss Army Knife player that we've ever seen in the history of our game. No one has been more flexible and been able to play in more positions than Sean Burgoyne. And I've said it a few times that I was trying to think of what, if I was to equate him to a superhero, who would it be? And I came up with Iron Man, obviously for the longevity, and we equate Iron Man with being uh, someone who can do it consistently for such a long, long time and has that longevity. But also, too, the amount of different suits that he was able to put on to meet the need of any moment. There was a, a Sean Burgoyne for any moment, and they were often the biggest moments, the most important moments. There's no 2013 flag without Sean Burgoyne's last quarter against Geelong to break the Kennett curse and it was just wonderful to see how this celebration unfolded during the week uh, in the build up to the game on the night it was truly special and I'm privileged and it's a night I'll never forget just being there to be able to call it and the guard of honour um, that was assembled before he ran out and after he came off the ground was just phenomenal with former teammates and legends of the game uh, and one player who was there that caught my eye because he's a fellow Bendigo boy and uh, a very good man, uh, Premiership Hawk in 2008, he kicked the sealer and he's been good enough to join me just to take us inside the celebrations of the night, the inner sanctum if you will. Rick Ladson, hello my friend. G'day, Sammy. How are you, mate? Uh, I'm very well. Um, what a special night on Saturday. Yeah, look, it's um, one of a kind, wasn't it? It was, um, it was quite humbling to be there and uh, an absolute honour to get invited along um, for the night. But, um, yeah, unbelievable scenes, really, um, for anyone to play <laughs> 400. Um, but first Indigenous player to do so and um, yeah Sean is just an unbelievable human so it was great to be a part of and see so many of his family and friends enjoy the night. Tell us about your relationship with him he came in 2010 and you finished up at the end of 2011 so a couple of years but clearly you guys have got a really strong bond otherwise uh, you wouldn't have been uh, where you were standing on Saturday night so take us into your relationship with Sean. <clears throat> yeah look um, Sean he joined us obviously at uh, the end of 2009 and um, I'd had a bit of surgery done at the time, so he came in on crutches, and I think I might have been on crutches as well. So um, we got to know each other, and look, it was—I um, don't know—we just we clicked pretty quickly, Shawnee and I. And um, you know, those two years were fantastic. We we bonded together in terms of, I guess, the way we had to train and get our knees right. And um, obviously, he's got better than mine, Sammy. But um, look, it was. He was just a, a great human, and um, I learned so much from him in that two years. But um, it was probably more off field that I learned from him. And um, yeah, we've always stayed connected since uh, I finished up. And I just watched back in awe of a bloke that, you know, as it's been um, written about and spoken about all last week, you know, a guy that people thought he had 12 months left um, and he's still going. So um, yeah, again, I just an honour to be there on the night. But um, to know Sean this this period of time and his family, it's it's just uh, it's just fantastic. Take us into what impresses you most about him as a player and as a person. Um, he's just so humble, Sammy, and like it is what it is with him. He's, there's no fuss to him. Um, you know the way he plays his footy is just phenomenal. You know we see the silkiness all the time, but um, the way he conducts himself off field is is. Um, He's a funny man. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I never tell it to his face, but he's um, he's the ultimate family man, and 
you know, from a mate's perspective, again, you know, I was just honoured to be there, but um, really proud that I can tell people that, you know, he is one of my mates, um, just the way he treats everyone equally. And he sets a standard so high, um, you know, for anyone to follow. But, you know, there's so many young kids out there, and especially in the Indigenous communities, um, watching Sean do his thing. Um, it's just, you know, it's an amazing thing. And he'll continue, whenever it is that he hangs the boots up, he'll, in, um, you know, continue to improve, you know, the awareness around Indigenous communities and, and, and setting the, the pathway for those to, to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, incredible that he, when he was growing up, just wanted to be like Gavin Wanganine and, and Michael Long. They were his two idols, and it was Gavin Wanganine that was part of the, the pre-game uh, tributes to him uh, out there with Sid Jackson and the incredible welcome to country, the didgeridoo, and then the guard of honour that you guys formed. So on the night, I'm imagining, and I, and I saw you out there through the Bushnells, uh, catching up with people that you wouldn't have seen for a long time and you and Ruffy were there, uh, of course you're great mate, but it would have been an incredible night just to have all those different people your family as well, uh, that were connected to Sean in different ways, did you all sit together, what was the, the chat like and what was the mood like in the inner sanctum there? Oh look mate, I was, um, I was well out of my depth, there's no doubt <laughs> that mate, I was um, in terms of the, um, the people that were in the room, I was just blown away to be there, um you know, it was very humbling, you know, considering what I'd achieved compared to the other people there. But, um, you know, again, just thankful that I got the opportunity to be in there. But, yeah, it was just amazing. Like, Ruffy and Isaac Smith, obviously, ex-teammates, and those boys played in those flags with Shawnee. And um, we were hooking into Isaac about being at Geelong. But, um, you know, <laughs> to see uh, Michael Tuck and Dustin Fletcher and, and Boomer Harvey and, um, you know, Gavin Wanganine, Derek Kiggett, there's so many amazing footballs in that room and um you know just they were all mingling and it was good to catch up with a couple of them and um have a quiet cold drinks and sort of speak about sean and um you know see where everyone was at but um it was just a, an amazing experience you know they um they had some obviously some things happening upstairs there where um there's a couple of speeches and um the didgeridoo similar out on the ground there um that was played upstairs as well and um yeah it just set the scene for what was just an amazing, an amazing night all round. Um, Hawthorne Footy Club, you know, did a great job in, in putting a function on and, and hosting all those people that were in it. What did you learn about him that you might not have known just from being in the room on the night? Um, oh, look, yeah, I think I knew it, to be honest, mate. The, just the amount of love for him. Um, you know, there's so many people in there that... Um, just love him for, for who he is. It's not about what he's done as a footballer. It's, it, you know, the person and, um, you know, it's it's sort of how he um, sort of treats everyone that, you know, everyone was there. There's so much love in the room and it was just it was just great to be a part of, Sammy. Uh, no, well, we appreciate you, you taking us inside. Um, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear some of the stories that were, were being told. <laughs> and it was an incredible um, assembly of, of, of people from all different parts of his football journey. It just um, We were looking in awe at the, the names and, and the people and, and the connections to, to Sean. Mate, what about the Hawks? Um, you obviously a premiership player there, and I love when we whenever we talk about goal kicking on this show and about how the standards of goal kicking have dropped and maybe people aren't practising them enough and maybe people get a little bit too in their heads. I always tell the story that you told me of what Shane Crawford said to you when you were lining up to kick the sealer in the 2008 grand final when he wandered over to you. Just to have a quick word in your ear. What Just <laughs> remind us, what did he say to you at that point? Uh, I'd kick two goals, nine, I think, for the year. 
So I was kicking like a dog, and um, he just said, "You kick this, we win it." So um, I had no choice. Sammy, <laughs> I had to go back and look. It all went well, but uh, little did he know I was I was quite uh, nervous after he said that. Um, but yeah, look, it's um, the Hawks are, are ticking along. They're they're a great little young group at the moment, and um, they've got a few wise heads in there that are leading the charge. But um, it's exciting to see, you know. Took my boys down and watched them against GWS, and um, you know it was an exciting brand of footy. And um, unfortunately, Saturday night, you know they come up against a, a very, very good side, and um, they sort of stole the show for Shawnee. But you know, there's plenty of upside at the Hawks, and yeah, you know, albeit a little bit of a rebuild, but you can sort of see light at the end of the tunnel. And um, yeah, some great talent running around, which is fantastic to see. Who's impressing you from the younger brigade? Oh. Look, there's not too many names that don't go down this hallway. I've got that many uh, plaster patch-up jobs I've got to do in this hallway at home, mate. But um, Will, Will Day is uh, one of the boys' favourites at the moment. And, yeah, his game against GWS a couple of weeks ago was uh, was fantastic. And you got to love the way CJ just attacks the ball. And uh, and when he gets it, he goes off half-back. And um, look, there's a couple of um, those inside mids that I don't mind the look of. And you've got to, got to love little big Duke in there getting it done and... What's he been on a list for about three weeks? So, um, yes. look, plenty of upside. So, um, it'll be exciting times for the Hawks. Hey, uh, and what about your own involvement in footy? Do you, have you still got a connection? I know after you, you left the Hawks, you, you were doing some assistant coaching and then you went back and coached your beloved Golden Square to, a, their, I think, their fifth consecutive premiership in the BFL. You've been coaching cricket flags since you moved back home. Uh, what's your involvement in footy these days? Um, yeah, just doing a little bit with the Golden Square women's team. Two years ago, we, we started the team and my wife, Carl's, um, was playing. And um, so, yeah, got sort of uh, talked into helping out that year and things went OK. And then we got locked down last year. So helping out there and co-coaching with Carl's, which is uh, an interesting <laughs> dynamic as husband, husband and wife. Husband and wife but, coaching uh, team. This is revolutionary. Yeah. Um, was considering in the first year... I, had to uh, delist my wife after the first game because she fell. Um, she was pregnant and she played round one and then told me. So I, had to, I reckon I'd be the first husband to ever have to uh, delist their wife. But um, yeah, no. Nah, so helping out there, mate. It's good fun and yeah, it's it's that grassroots stuff. The the girls are at all all kinds of different levels, but it's um yeah, it's it's great to coach them and and create like an enjoyment enjoyment sort of uh, atmosphere for them to to learn different skills and have a smile on their face on the weekends. Hey, Lado, thanks so much, mate, for taking us into the inner sanctum for Sean Burgoyne's 400. We really appreciate it. No worries at all, Sammy. Thanks for having me. Uh, Rick Ladson, Hawthorne Premiership player, part of the Guard of Honour for Sean Berg on a really special night. Uh, we'll wrap up time on on the other side of this in the sporting capital, Heroes and Villains, on a Monday night. Looking forward to getting stuck into that with you. Uh, not long to wrap up time on here, but just uh, announcing the NAB AFL Rising Star nominee for Round 16 is Swan Justin McInerney. 22 touches, three marks. He had 235 metres gained and a goal assist in the Swans' humiliation of the West Coast Eagles. I wonder if they'll get a run in Heroes and Villains. We'll do that next on the Sporting Capital. The big news story, of course, today, Steve Hocking leaving the AFL to take up the CEO position at Geelong, replacing 23-year CEO Brian Cook. So Andrew Dillon will take the reins for the rest of the season, and they hope to announce uh, Steve's successor by the end of the season. Uh, and the Round 17 fixture still not totally locked away, but 
Monday night footy is back. West Coast and North Melbourne will be at Optus Stadium, 100% crowd capacity. Thursday night, Port and Melbourne in Adelaide. Friday night, Essendon and Adelaide at Marvel. Cartland Geelong, 1.45pm Saturday at the MCG. Hawthorne Frio at Utah's Stadium, uh, 4.35 start there. Brisbane and St Kilda at the Gabba, but that's pending government approval. Uh, and then the Giants and the Gold Coast is now slated to be at Mars Stadium in Ballarat. And Western Bulldogs Sydney is at Marvel, 3.20. Richmond and Collingwood, 4.40 Sunday at the MCG. So we are locked away. Only thing to see is whether we'll be at the Gabba. Sporting Capital's up next. Thank you for all your calls and texts. Keep them coming through. Heroes and Villains. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.